take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I will use the collective we when I say that we have been examining this epistle for the last several weeks. Particularly, Pastor has been preaching from this epistle from the last several weeks, but we'll go ahead and pick up where he left off and let him get to the fun stuff uh, in the next section, looking at the rapture and the Lord's return. But the theme for this epistle that we've been examining is a connecting Christianity in a culture that is collapsing. As we've gone through this epistle, we've seen Paul's love for the church here at Thessalonica. We've seen his delight in the church. The fact that they were a church that was evidence that they were transformed by the word of God. They were not a church that was dependent on the words of man, but the word of God did a transforming work in their lives. They are a church that does have concepts that need to be challenged as they grow in their Christian lives. When we get saved, we don't have all of the answers. When we get saved, there is a process of sanctification, a process of personal growth that as believers we are to be going through. Paul moves from his delight in the church and how they had gotten saved in chapters 1 through 3, and beginning in chapter 4, starts to address specific subjects that these believers need to progress in in their sanctification. As I was kind of thinking back over my life as all the sermons that I have heard preached uh, from the book of 1 Thessalonians, I, I have had several numbers of sermons that I remember coming from 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. The pastor preached on two weeks ago. Simply put, it is God's will for you as a believer to live morally pure. Your testimony to a culture that is not morally pure. Being a follower of Christ, we are to live differently from the world, and it is God's will for us to understand how to control our bodies, how to possess our vessels. Paul puts it in a way that would not bring shame to ourselves, but primarily that would not bring shame to Christ. Particularly as a teenager, as a young college student, that is a passage that young people get preached at regularly. And then I started thinking, okay, verses 9 through 12. How many times have I heard a pastor preach these verses? And I think I can count on less than one hand the number of sermons that I've heard preached on verses 9 through 12. It's kind of one of those, okay, verses 1 through 8, Paul's dealing with living pure. That's something that's great that we all need. And then verses 13 to the end of the chapter and into chapter 5, he starts talking about the return of Christ, and that's awesome. And these verses this evening are verses that oftentimes kind of get skipped over. They're not really that important of verses for us to have to look at. And in one sense, 
when you're talking about the big areas of sin, living morally pure, yes, that's something that needs to be addressed, especially in our culture. And the return of Christ is something that we should be looking forward to. But in these verses, Paul gives us two key tasks that we should take as as believers we are living out our testimony. This morning, I apologize, it was not the easiest sermon to take notes on. If you're trying to find point one, A, B, C, and if you're trying to take notes this morning, it, it was not that sermon to take notes on. I apologize for that. Tonight's is going to be a little more of a formal outline, so if that helps your mind take notes, hopefully, now that I say it, it's not going to be, but hopefully tonight will be a little bit easier to take notes on. But Paul gives us two tasks that as believers, two ways in which we are to live so that we are living our lives in a way that is going to stick out and be a testimony to the culture that is around us. Paul writes, beginning in verse 9 through 12, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. And that ye may have lack of nothing. This evening, first of all, I'd like for us to look at how we are to live out our testimony. Paul gives us the command that we are to live a life of increasing love. If we are able to live our life with that increasing love, our lives are going to be a testimony to a culture that is collapsing around us allowing our light as believers to shine. And Paul begins this exhortation by saying, really, I don't need to tell you this. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. The church at Thessalonica was a church that was characterized by love. In fact, even the early church in church history was characterized by love. In his apologies, Tertullian wrote, Behold how these Christians love one another. And when we think about who we are before we're saved, we are living a life for number one. We are living a life for ourselves. We are living selfishly. But when we experience the love of Christ for ourselves, that love will transform how we live. No longer looking out for myself, but looking at how I can meet the needs and how I can serve others. The characteristic Christian attitude that Paul is demonstrating in these verses is that our faith in God spills out into all of life in the form of a self-denying, self-giving love. And this is a theme that Paul has touched on a couple of times already in this epistle. 
In chapter 1, verse 3, when Paul is giving his prayer of thanks and remembrance for the church at Thessalonica, he says that they remember without ceasing. And one of the things that Paul lists is their labor of love, their work of love. And in chapter 3, verse 6, he recounts how when Timothy came to Paul to give him a report for how the church at Thessalonica was doing, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, your faith and love, this brotherly love that you have, I really don't have to address it. The Thessalonians demonstrated a steadfast love for others, which can only occur when one has been transformed by God and sees others the way that God sees them. When we recognize who we are, to remember back to this morning when we have compassion on others the way Christ had compassion on us, that love the Thessalonians not only demonstrated the self-denying agape love towards all people, but here in this verse, Paul is praising them specifically for their phileo love towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. Summing it up, Paul is saying, regarding the love that you ought to have as brothers and sisters in Christ, you get a gold star. You got it. Well done. But following Paul's thinking here in chapter 4, verse 1, he doesn't want them to rest on their laurels. He doesn't want them to stop there. He wants them to continue, and their love would abound more and more. These principles of love are so basic that Paul knew that they were obvious to the Thessalonian Christians. You don't need me to tell you how to demonstrate that love, Paul says, because you're already doing it. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. They were not taught by nature, which teaches us to be kind, you know, treating others the way we would want them to treat us. They were not taught to love by the law of Moses, which instead obligates men to love their neighbor. But instead they were taught to love by God who freely gives that love. If you can remember back to when your children were growing up, there are times perhaps when your children did not demonstrate the familial love that they should have towards one another. And then there are other times when all of a sudden the room gets quiet that they are in. And as parents, you do rock, paper, scissors to see who has to go and check to see what mischief the children are up to. And you go and you look in the room that they're in, and instead of fighting and arguing with each other, you see your children demonstrating that they actually love each other, that they like each other even. That's the love that Paul is commending them for, this love that God himself has taught to them. The phrase here is found nowhere else in the New Testament, but it refers to a direct teaching of God on their hearts, which is something that we see fulfilled with the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
this law of love God himself has taught the believers at Thessalonica. And John himself in his epistle of 1 John writes that here, this is how we know if someone is born again, the love that they have towards others. You know, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen and yet you hate your brother whom you have? And this love of God is something that God himself has taught them. Paul says here, continues in verse 10, Indeed, ye do it towards all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. It's not just the brothers and sisters in Christ there at the first church in Thessalonica, but throughout the region of Macedonia, they have demonstrated a selfless, self-denying, self-giving love. And we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. We urge you, we encourage you not to grow weary in the well-doing. So one commentator said, to sit back satisfied with what one has done is to sound the death knell of effective Christian service. Paul has given them a gold star. You guys are doing well with this, but don't stop. Keep going. Let that love continue to abound. There is no state of I have arrived in Christianity. We're not there yet. We'll get there at our glorification, but we're not there yet. Paul's argument in this sentence continues. And we can see a connection between the demonstration of our Christian love for others with a demonstration of a willingness to get one's hands dirty. How are we to live our testimony out in a culture that is collapsing? First of all, by living a life of increasing love. As the culture becomes increasingly polarized, increasingly one side of the aisle or the other, and there is no way to demonstrate even an agreement with someone who disagrees with you. As Christians, we are called to not just agree with individuals, but we are called to love them. Amen. But Paul secondly tells us in order to live out our testimony in a culture that is collapsing, secondly, in verses 11 and 12, he tells us to live a life of work. Live a life of work, and if we just look at our culture around us, if you, at the bare minimum, show up to work when you're supposed to show up to work, you actually work when you're at work, and you are faithful in that, you are going to have a testimony. Because all too often, even in the world, people are looking for someone to be faithful in their job. And Paul gives us three ways in which we can live and ought to live a life of work. And it's a practical outworking of Paul's command to increase in our love. Paul says that ye study to be quiet, to do your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. This is the first indication in this epistle that some of the Thessalonians... We're so excited by all of the wonderful things of the Christian faith that they were not bothering to even earn a living. There are other indications in 2 Thessalonians that unfortunately tell us 
they didn't get it from Paul's first message. In fact, this was something that even when Paul was at Thessalonica, he had to address and deal with in person. And some of these believers, even after two letters, didn't seem to get it. In chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 of 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Okay, how is it, what does this disorderly conduct look like? Working not at all. Not working, not providing for your family, but instead are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they should work and eat their own bread. There were some within this church at Thessalonica that so were looking forward to the imminent return of Christ that they felt it would be a waste of time to get a job. And there were many in the church, many of the brothers and sisters in Christ, who because of their love for the brethren, had no problem helping those individuals out with their day-to-day living. Now, I'm not saying that it is an issue if somebody has a need and you help to meet that need. That's not what Paul is addressing. But what Paul is addressing is there were so, some people in the church who were so used to getting those handouts that they just said, hey, let's just keep those handouts coming. And they refused to do the work for themselves. And that's what Paul here is addressing. He says to study. That word literally means to love honor. To make it your ambition. To strive earnestly for, to seek strenuously to do these things. You know, when you're in school, that word study is one of those words that as a student you don't like. It's a word that as a teacher you hope your students are doing. But studying involves work. And we don't like work. We'd prefer to take the easy road. But Paul here gives us three areas in our life as we are living a life of work to study. To strenuously try to achieve. Why? Because it takes work. Because our natural inclinations are to do the opposite. And the first he says here is study to be quiet. In other words, seek strenuously to be still. Luke uses this phrase to be quiet in three main ways in his writings. He uses it to indicate a silence after a speech. In Luke chapter 14, verses 3 through 4, Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And they were quiet. What were they doing? They were trying to stir up problems. They were trying to trap Christ with his words. They were trying to make a mess of things. And Jesus asks them a question. And they just had to be still. Because they had no answer. In Acts chapter 21 verse 14, Luke uses it in regards to the stopping of an argument. In Acts 21, Paul is being confronted by brothers and sisters in Christ who are pleading with him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, you know if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. Paul, you know if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be beaten. 
But Luke records, when we saw that he would not be persuaded, we ceased. The clamoring stopped. They were quiet. It's also used to describe a rest from labor. Luke 23, after Christ's crucifixion, we see the ladies, they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and they rested on the Sabbath day. They were quiet. They were still. It carries the idea of having a tranquility of life. Now, tranquility does not mean inactivity. Paul is calling the church at Thessalonica to a calmness and a simplicity. Why? Because in the culture around them, there is a lot of unrest. I don't think we have to use our imaginations too much to look even in the culture in which we live, how much unrest there is. And what's Paul saying to do? Do your very hardest to stay out of it. Don't get into that strife. Study to live a life. Work strenuously to have that calm. Why? Because when we are in a world and everyone is going crazy about the world going to end one way or the other, or the prices going up on this, or prices going up on that, and there's just so much hullabaloo, that's just a good word to describe it going on. Paul says, don't get involved. Study, be strenuous in your endeavor to not get involved. Why? Because we want to get involved. We want to give our opinion. Paul says, live a life of work. Here's how you do it. First of all, study to be simple. Study, work strenuously to be calm. We think of Mary and Martha when Jesus comes to visit. And Martha is just going all about the house, cleaning and cooking and just working herself up. And what's Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha even says, Jesus, tell her to get to work. And Jesus' response is, Martha, calm down. You're getting yourself so worked up with everything. But look at Mary. She's chosen the better part. So as we strive to live a life of work, we do it, first of all, by seeking strenuously to be still, to be quiet. Secondly, Paul tells us that we are to study to do our own business. Seek strenuously to do our own business. This is the only time this phrase is used in the New Testament, but if you look at non-biblical Greek writings, this expression is quite common. And if we were to put it into modern English quite simply, Paul is saying, do your very hardest to mind your own business. Why? Because it's hard to do that. We so often want to put ourselves into other situations to tell people exactly how things need to be done. And Paul says, you want to have a testimony that's different from the culture around you? Don't act like the culture around you and putting yourself into everybody's business. Study to do your own business. Don't be curious about the matters which do not concern yourself 
Why? Because they tend only to stir up strife. I wish that I had a proper author to attribute this quote to. It's one that I've seen on bumper stickers, but when I look it up, there's no author found. So I'm going to go against all of my high school English training and give a quote without being able to attribute it. Terry, forgive me. The quote goes along this lines, do not meddle in the affairs of dragons, for you are crunchy and good with ketchup. Don't put your nose where it doesn't belong. Study, strive to do your own business. This isn't a 21st century American problem. This was a problem first century Thessalonica. This was an issue that even in the 18th century theologians were dealing with. One 18th century theologian put it this way, everyone should abide in their calling wherein they are called to attend the business of it, not to thrust themselves into other families and officiously take upon him under a pretense of zeal, affection, and friendship to inspect, direct, or manage the business of others. In short, he should not meddle with other people's business, but mind his own. One commentator puts it this way, recognizing what Paul was saying in verses 9 and 10, there is a great difference between the Christian duty of brotherly love and putting the interests of others first and a busybody's compulsive itch to put other people right. Yes, we have a responsibility to help others, but how are we doing it? The manner in which we go about makes a large difference. And again, unfortunately, this is an issue that Paul has to address in his second letter. As we read earlier, first Th or 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12, we still hear, this is after he's already written this, study to be quiet, study to do your own business, but we still hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. And those who are busybodies, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness, study to be calm, study to be still. They work and eat their own bread. Busybodies, 18th century theologians had a way with words. Today, we'd like to sum it up in like two or three words, but they, they had a way with words. One 18th century theologian describes these busybodies. They, there were those who were doing everything that they should not do. Impertinent meddlers with other people's business, prying into other people's circumstances and domestic affairs, magnifying or minifying, mistaking or underrating everything, newsmongers and telltales, an abominable race, the curse of every neighborhood where they live, and a pest to religious society. Paul is saying, listen, if you want to have a life that stands out, that is different from the culture that is collapsing around you, live a life of work by studying to do your own business. You know, we live in a day and age where social media has made it extremely easy to let everybody know what your opinions are about every topic under the sun. And unfortunately, the draw is for us to Tell everybody what we think about everything. 
Paul's saying, hey, don't do it. Why? Because that's just going to cause up strife. Because you make a response to somebody and what's going to happen? Somebody else is going to respond to you. And so you have to respond back to them. And then somebody else responds and you have to respond. And it can just drive you crazy. And Paul's saying, study to be quiet. Study to do your own business. You know, just because we can put something on social media doesn't mean we should. But Paul, thirdly, how do we live a life of work teaches us and it commands us to seek strenuously to work with your own hands. Study, he says, to do work with your own hands. He is closely joining the commands of being still and minding one's own, minding one's own business with working with one's hands. This is a mindset that takes humility particularly to the culture that Paul is writing to, the typical Greek attitude was that it was the slaves who got their hands dirty. The slaves did the manual labor and that type of work. Well, if I'm above a slave, I'm not doing that. So Paul's saying you want to live a life that's different from the culture around you, get your hands dirty. We see here that there's a reminder that we do not take our standard from the culture in which we live, but rather our standard comes from the culture to which we are going. You may be here thinking, but I'm retired. I don't have to follow this. Well, I guess you got Paul. No, just because you're retired doesn't mean you're done working. After all, if you're retired, that means you have more time to work. There are countless individuals, even in this room, who are retired, who do work behind the scenes that nobody is going to know until we get to glory for God. You know, you're retired. What can you do? You can find a ministry in the church to work at. You can find a younger person, perhaps, to invest in their life. Just because we are at the age of 65 and able to retire from work doesn't mean we're done working for the Lord. Paul tells the Colossians in Colossians 3.17, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, that we are to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. When we work, how do we work? Do we work to the praise of the Father? Or do we just get the bare minimum done? In Ephesians 4, 28a, Paul writes, that To let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Now, work is a good thing. Adam and Eve had work in the Garden of Eden before the fall. If you want to know more about work, I'll let you talk to Pastor in the Sunday School series that he did last year on work and Christians in the workplace. But how can we live counter to the culture that is collapsing around us? By living a life of work. By not getting mixed up in all of the confusion around us, doing our job quietly, doing our own job, not getting mixed up in other people's affairs, working with our hands. 
Paul says, these are things that we've already told you. And now comes the questions that students will oftentimes ask, why? Why should I do this? Why is this important? And Paul tells us why. He gives us two reasons why we should live a life of increasing love, why we should live a life of work. And the first is found here in verse 12, because of our testimony. We do this that we may walk honestly toward them that are without. We need to bear in mind the impact of our life, of our lifestyle, our conduct on those who we come in contact with who are unsaved. God has placed you in a workforce, in a specific mission field that he has not placed anyone else in. How do your coworkers see you working? What testimony does a Christian who gossips idly while living on the charity of others have? But when we combine the love of our brethren with work, Paul saying we walk properly. People who are not Christians will see our example, and our example will be an influence to become followers of Christ. As Christians, we are ambassadors How are we representing? Are we representing a lazy, unloving, busybody God? In being quiet, in doing one's own business, in working with our own hands, we walk as becomes the gospel. Why should we live a life of increasing love? Why should we live a life of work? First of all, because of our witness, our testimony. But secondly, our own welfare. You know, I think of the first spirit of Christmas past who visits Scrooge. I feel like I've done a lot of Scrooge analogies today. That's all right. It's a great story. When Scrooge asks the spirit, why are you bothering me at one o'clock in the morning? And her re- or the response of the spirit, for your own welfare, for your own well-being. Why should we live this way? Paul says that ye may have lack of nothing. Those who live a life of work will never be in want. This doesn't mean you won't go through periods that are more scarce or periods that are difficult. Periods where the love of your brothers and sisters in Christ may be necessary to bring you through. I can remember several occasions growing up where things were difficult. We would go out to the van and all of a sudden dad would come out and there would be a box sitting in the kitchen that somebody had just said, I want this to go help that family out. In times like that, where because of a brother or sister in Christ, who to this day is an unsung hero in our lives, because they were showing the love of God to us, they were able to help us through that difficult time. So Paul isn't saying that if you work, you're never going to go bankrupt. He's not saying if you work, you're never going to lose everything. There may be difficult times, but the working 
is something that Christians ought to do. Could be that he's saying work and your needs will be supplied or more likely work and you will need no one to help you. Both carry the connotation that a Christian ought not be living his or her life as a parasite. So as we close this evening, just two questions. How is your love for others? In a culture in which it is increasingly more and more becoming hate-filled, are you demonstrating the love of God to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Does your love abound? Or do you simply tolerate other believers? You know, my love is great, but I can keep going. Paul commands me to. Secondly, are we seeking strenuously to live a life of work? Seeking strenuously to be still. Despite the chaos that is around us, that seeks to agitate us, are we living our lives in the peace of God? Are we seeking strenuously to do our own business? Despite the temptations to meddle in the affairs of others, are we able to focus on our own responsibilities and needs? Are we seeking strenuously to work with our own hands? Despite the ease of others' charity, are you striving to be busy with your own hands? How is your testimony to a world, a culture that is collapsing around you? Father God, we thank you for your truth this evening. Lord, I pray that you would just be with each of us, that you would help us in our love for one another, that that love may just continue to abound as we demonstrate the love that you have shown to us and given to us with those around us, particularly those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in increasing love. But Lord, I pray also that you would help us to live our lives working. That we work strenuously to have the calm despite the crazy around us. That we work to do our own business rather than interfering with others. That you would help us to work to find things to do to further your gospel, despite the ease of having others take care of things. Father, I pray that you would just help us in our Christian walk to live in these ways so that we may have a proper and a good testimony to those who are without, that others would see our life and be drawn to the difference that is there compared to the world in which we live. We ask these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.